This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have a work compologist with us, Mr. Steven Sedlak from the great state of Illinois. That's right. Thank you. What's going on, man? Nothing, man. Just a cold day here in the Midwest. Nothing new. You ain't kidding, man. It's a cold day here in Florida. I got the 37 degree notification when Dude. I fired up my car this morning. I mean, what is that? I know. We're it's, coming down it's there. Coming garbage. We're in about a month, and, and I can't wait for it. Oh, we should yeah, be good by uh, then. Yeah. That's yeah. What is. I'm hoping so, man. I mean, I got, I'm still thawing out from when I was up in St. Louis. <laughs> we were cold then. We still are cold now. Just snow. We didn't get the big snowfall like everybody else just got, but we've got some, and it's still on the ground a little bit. Mm, I hear you. Well, listen, man, we'll get ramped, ramped up pretty quick because I know you got a lot to talk about that people will want to hear. But why don't you sort of give them your background story and bring everybody up to speed on how you got to where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate coming on here today. But, you know, first off, I, I went to Mizzou, University of Missouri to, to study journalism. Uh, didn't know what I wanted to be coming out of high school. Went to junior college for two years, then decided on journalism. Hmm. Uh, and, and I got done with journalism. I realized that I did not want to do journalism. So I went to that school for that. While I was there, I started a company with four other fraternity brothers and we were kind of selling used and refurbished cell phones, uh, online at a couple of retail stores, had too many chiefs, not enough Indians. So kind of went away from that, went to enterprise from there, uh, did their, uh, management training program, realized that wasn't my cup of tea, got as high as I could. Uh, and then went to ADP, uh, the payroll company selling payroll from them. And I'll be honest, that was some of the best sales training I have ever gotten. And I still use a lot of that today. Uh, then about 10 years ago, uh, my father, who owns our agency, uh, we're partners now, but he'd owned at the time, uh, been family owned since 1919. He kind of said, hey, I need to know what your thoughts are with me and my brother. I got an older brother and a younger one. And uh, he said, I kind of need to know my exit strategy. So I said, hell, now is the time to give it a shot. So Ten years ago, made the jump from ADP to here and living the dream. Nice, nineteen. That's awesome, man. Huh? Yeah, nineteen nineteen. That's pretty cool. Do you have any original policyholders left? 
I mean, I, I have uh, to ask the question because been around for a long time, but not that. Well, one. I mean, we were talking to uh, Aaron Gordon yesterday, yeah. and his agency was founded in 1968. Yeah, and they do have original policyholders oh. still there. That's insane, man. That's, yeah, I mean, we right. also probably go back close to that, but I mean, nowhere near the 1919. Thank God. I don't know. That's about crazy. That point. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, man. ADP definitely is one of my favorite places to recruit people from, just because of that whole sales training yeah. thing. Um, it's that, you know, and it's such high volume, you know. Right. Um, oh, it's a horrible job. I mean, yeah. just call it what it is. You're out cold calling nonstop. Right. And every day's like Groundhog Day. It starts over again. And to my knowledge, um, I don't think ADP has any kind of residual income stream. But what I did yeah, find out last week was stuff, our, our, our guy from Heartland does get residual yeah. income because – he was in here in the office meeting with me. It's the first time I've been able to to sit down and meet with this guy, even though we've tossed some leads back and forth. And I put the hammer on him right out of the box. Like, hey, tell me a little bit about your income. How, you know, you, you happy with where you're at? I mean, I was like ready to right. go because I like the guy. Hey, so what do they he fits the profile, right? But <laughs> I was... Yeah, I was I was saddened to find out that he actually is already on residual income. That's the first time I'd talked to a Heartland rep trying yeah, to make the move. And I've heard that about in. Heartland as well, too. Uh, but yeah, ADP, it, it, you know, they do. They they put you out there. They grind you. You're out on the street. You better not be in the office unless you're turning in a, uh, you know, an order. And that's it. But that's that's good. You know, a lot of people get their start there because of that, because they're going to train you to get out and not be afraid to knock on doors and make phone calls and and you're going to know right away if you're going to under if you're going to make it in sales with that with that career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's for sure because it's something nobody ever wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, it you got to be able to establish some level of a wedge or some credibility really really quick. And there's right. not many that you can that you can use. I mean, when it comes to the payroll, it's pretty cut and dry in most instances. Some of them have a little bit, you know, easier reporting process, but it's all in all, for the most part, the same product. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and you find your ways to kind of, like you said, build a wedge between who they're currently using. Just little things that might not add up a whole lot, but the way you you go about your process, and that's the thing. You know, they, they've always taught me that processes, they have a sales process that if you follow it, you're not going to win them all, but you're going to be successful because they have figured out how to do it. And, you know, like you said, you just got to build that wedge between them and that, and, and you'll know quickly. If you're going to make I mean, truthfully, man, that that's what our industry is missing completely. There is, there, I mean, we don't have, I, well, I mean, we do, but, right. um, and the people in killing commercial do, but you know, agencies by and large, when you walk out the, the door, uh, or walk in the door, there is no proven replicable sales process at all. Um, you know, I guess and that's so, fair, yeah. That's no, and you got some of the, you know, you got some carriers like State Auto. We'd sent a guy through that a couple of years ago, their program, and it's good. Do I think it's phenomenal? No offense to them, but no, because I don't think they focus enough on the the sales aspect of it. They treat, they teach them how to get out and hit the streets and all that, which is phenomenal and half the job. But there's not enough role playing being done with that, which I know it's a, a topic that everybody doesn't like, but it works and, and it teaches you how to do it. It's just the industry. I said that from day one, moving over from ADP to here in this industry. And I had to cut the, you know, grind my my teeth basically at it to figure out my processes because it's a totally different sales cycle from ADP to where we're at now. ADP was a one and done. You go in there and you talk to them and you're trying to leave with that order. And if you don't, your chances of closing it out after that are dropped by over 50%. You know, whereas now it's a completely different process. and, And it's hard for people 
from my understanding, from other people I've known done it to go from that type of sale to something that's a little more drawn out. Um, you know, it's definitely an adjustment period. And it was the same thing for me. I mean, I, I went from right. selling office supplies, B2B, where it was just like you said, you walk in, you're trying to, you know, sell them right then and there. And it wasn't, you know, we didn't really get residuals. There was, I've talked about it, you know, a few times on here, but there was some bonuses offered, you know, for, uh, customers reordering, but it wasn't, you know, anything substantial, right. uh, then going from that to, a, a much longer sales cycle in the PEO world, there's definitely an adjustment and, and it's the same thing, you know, with the insurance. But, um, I think if you have those behaviors that were created in something that's as fast paced as payroll or, uh, you know, office supplies or, or any other B2B sales positions, then you can be successful in, in pretty much anything after that. Yeah, I, I think the biggest deal is that you could, you have the ability to go in when you're doing the marketing drop and and successfully accomplish that, right? Oh my God. You know? So dude, it was the best to not yeah. have to go, like to walk in and just do a drop and not have to like sell them right on the spot. Like, dude, this is cake. Right. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, because I think that if you can be successful doing that, you do have a very high opportunity uh, or high percentage opportunity to close the deal on the first actual meeting. But you're not going to go yeah. in and get somebody to move. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but it's pretty rare you're going to go in on a marketing drop and have somebody decide, you know what? I think I'm going to move my entire insurance program today because right. this guy walked in. It's yeah. just not going to happen. And then you got a question if it's why are they why are they making that choice right away, right? <laughs> Is this somebody yeah. I really even want because they're saying this? I kind of like would throw up the red flags at that point. Yes. Exactly. Here's my pre-filled accords. They're ready for you right. to go to market right. on my behalf. I mean, right. come on, man. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting. So what did they train you when you were in that world? How well did they train you to overcome objections? It, it was a lot of their training. Um, you know, the first month, it was just more of a shadow role where I was kind of going out with with existing uh, sales reps, I guess, if you will, in their territories. I didn't have a territory when I first came on. Uh, I mean, there's such a turn and burn industry of, of people. So they knew there'd be an opening in the territory eventually. So, you know, the first month, it was strictly just kind of learning the ropes. And then it was a lot of role playing. They had a corporate uh, trainer out of New Jersey that I would have phone calls with two or three times a week. And it was a lot of just role playing. Um, so we would go over those objections, the common objections that they were going to get that they knew that the the uh, sales reps were going to get and you would just hash them out. And uh, I would do that with her twice a week. I would do it with uh, my mentor, I guess you could say, or my manager as well, too. Uh, you know, we probably did three times a week that first month, month and a half of, of role playing and overcoming up. Yeah, it's um, yeah, my uh, my wife is a manager over at ADP. And I mean, that's what she's doing all day long. She's on call. Like yeah. it gets it gets ridiculous sometimes. I mean, it's like on the phone, puts it down for not even a second back up. And she's, you know, doing um, different role playing scenarios or just answering questions or hopping on a meeting with somebody. So it's. Um, you know, again, very high volume, but their, their training is, 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 is top tier from, you know, yep. me just being around her, um, and, and, and seeing that firsthand. It is. And, and role playing is awkward, right? Everybody, it's always an awkward thing, but it, but in reality, it's, it's, it's extremely effective if done properly. You know, it's nothing more than just practice. You know, it's just like a baseball player going out to the, anybody that's made it in the major leagues, they didn't just pick up a bat, you know, just when they were going to go to play. It's practice. And that's what it is. And I've always said this industry's had it at a lack of that when it comes to any sales training that I've ever come across or seen that I've sent guys to. And it just drives, you know, grinds my gears. And of course, I try to do it here at the office with them and, you know, parlay it, but they're in some classes trying to teach something else. So it's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil. 
And if done right, it can be extremely effective. I completely agree. It was the uh, it was the worst part of the mornings when I was doing the mm-hmm. office supply. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Because every is. morning we do it for 10 whatever minutes. And, you know, I was there for quite a, you know, a, a pretty substantial time, um, like five, six years, uh, which is mu- much longer than the average person there. But it was just, you know, a- every morning when whatever, the 815 rolled around, it was like, oh, here we go. Well, I tell you, the one thing I, I never understood, and I, I've done this, in, you know, they had an ADP in, in our training and some other stuff is, I don't get why they try to do it to where, hey, you know, you're going to do it in front of a, you know, let's just say there's a class of 10 of us, right? And so everybody each gets to go around with the instructor. Well, that's just more pressure than you're going to have on a phone, right? You're in phone or in person, you're just going to have that one-on-one, but you're sitting around a group of 10 people and now you feel all eyes are on you and you're you're not going to be at your best. My thought's always been that the one-on-one role play is going to be by far the best. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've been talking about um, objections a lot lately in I've actually moved to a sort of a new approach. It's kind of interesting. It's we were talking about it right before we started recording. Right now, I'm batting a thousand with this one. But in funny enough, I actually shot uh, a message over to Josh and Andrew yeah. to have them use this on one of the people that was sort of throwing some shade at him last week. But I basically just send them an email, and the people in Killing Commercial I've, I've shared this with have been successful with it too, but I send them an email with the subject line, what happens to you if we don't talk? And yeah. just basically say, so give them some framework around what that guy, you know, what the story is with that. Yeah. Um, so I um, I obviously emailed you yesterday, this you know body of a email that I was getting ready to send out to a prospect that I had a meeting with last week. I met with the uh, safety coordinator or whatever. It's a utility company. They've got you know, about 25 vehicles, decent, you know, decent size. Um, and, um, so I, I met with him and, you know, through conversation, he was pretty new. He took over for somebody back in December through my questioning. He didn't really know or didn't have really any like policies, procedures, um, you know, programs in place, return to work and any kind of that stuff. Didn't even really know or understand the mod. So I explained the mod to him, their mod, has gone up from it was 0.87 um, two policy periods ago. It went up to 8.9, and then for the last policy period, it was at 105. Um, it comes out again here in the next couple months. So I don't know what that's looking like, but I would venture to say that it's going to increase. Um, so I had that conversation with him. He's like, "Okay, well, you know, being that I'm still new and figuring everything out, I've got to run stuff by the owner and you know just tell him about our conversation before we do anything else or whatever." I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, totally. And I followed up with him, you know, on, on uh, a day or two after. And he's like, yeah, the owner's not looking to, um, sw- you know, switch insurance. I'm like, okay, cool. N- nowhere in our conversation did we right. talk about switching insurance. In fact, I think that you should stay with the particular carrier that you're with because I would be surprised if other carriers will write it, <laughs> you know, based on what I understand about your operations. What I do think is important is that he understands the impact that the mod is going to have on the business moving forward and what it's been for the past two years after you guys were, you know, getting a, a credit mod and now you're at a debit mod. So there's some stuff going on there. Don't you think it would make sense for us to have that conversation? He's like, well, yeah, I, I suppose whatever BS response. And I was, I got, I got the guy's email. And so I, again, I kind of typed up some things that I wanted to say, sent it to David for, um, you know, just some input. And he said that the, you know, body was pretty good, but what we wanted 
I think do here is change the subject line for I had it at um uh workers comp mod increase I think yeah. something something close to that and then you know his input was change it to what happens to you if we don't talk which I think is great because it's it's not a it's it's I wouldn't say that it's aggressive but it's in your face and and it just makes like you're going to click on that email right you know and and it's going to and 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 the first line after that is What's going to happen is is you're going to you know end up paying more and more each year, uh, and then the you know the rest of the email after that. So I think it's important to have that impactful not only subject line but for you you've got what I mean yeah. thirty seconds not even probably thirty seconds to get somebody's attention probably yeah. less than that. You know I think well, I, I wonder, used it. I think this uh, I think far too, I think email can be effective if you are doing it properly and you're not making it the subject line is just what the body of the email is about, which far too many people do. You have to do something that's going to catch their attention because Mm -hmm. that's going to be the one thing that they're going to look at and decide if they're going to click on that email or not. Well, it's funny, man, because the reason why I used, or I had mentioned, I I shared that with with Josh Gurley and Andrew Deering from HM Advisors, but they they have a, a program, a specialty program that's nationwide for truck body and trailer manufacturers. And, you know, the, the the first uh, objection that they got from this this one uh, lady at a company they were calling on was um, yeah we we would prefer to do, to be local how local can you be and Josh's response was as local as the cell phone that's in my pocket which was good my response would be I am sitting in front of you. I mean, like yeah. you're asking me about how local can I be? I don't know. I mean, do you want me to sit on your lap? I can't get any closer to you than I already am. I'm here. But, you know, but then it went another direction. And, I, and basically they said, you know, we just want to keep the relationship local. So I told them, I said, here's what you need to do. Make the subject line. What happens to you or what happens to your company if you and I don't talk? And basically just give them an email that opens it up and say, here are examples from the last three people that initially turned us down for a conversation. And I want, and I told them, give them three bullets, you know, maybe two to three sentences each, but give three very specific, specific examples where somebody shot you down to stay local. And because that local agent does not have the industry knowledge that you do for that specific niche, they ended up having something negative happen in their business. And so just show them, these are examples of what happened to other people. This could happen to you and see what happens. You're going to get somebody's attention. If you do Mm -hmm. that at that point, especially, and you're not selling Mm -hmm. by fear, you're, you're just showing them examples. And I mean, listen, if I have a truck or trailer manufacturer, I'm just going to refer it to those guys. Right. You know, I'm not going to mess with going in and trying to figure out all of the intricacies of it because I know they have it nailed down, right? I mean, they represent millions of dollars of premium right. in this class. So it makes all the sense in the world to just, you know what, this is not what I need to be doing. Let me let me send it to them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um you know, with this one that, that Kyle sent out this morning, because again, the mod is continuously going up. Mm-hmm. This guy needs to figure it out. I mean, number one, I have some concerns about an owner who hires somebody to handle safety and risk management that apparently asked no Doesn't qualifying questions right. <laughs> you know, regarding yeah. whether or not this guy was capable of doing his job. Right. You know, it, it was, so it who was knows? interesting. I think the other Maybe thing is something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, to your point about the the subject line, I think it also buys you a little bit of uh, length that you can add to the email. You know, right. um, 
like you're talking about with the bullet points, I think you can afford to do that if you're able to get their attention right off the bat. And it's not just, I'm Kyle with Florida Risk Partners. We do this, this, and this. Like, you know, that. Right. Like the that, people who send me emails about VoIP systems five mm, times a day, every you day. You love VoIP. Yeah. You know, we, we actually just brought on or hired a firm to help us with some email marketing. They're based out of St. Louis here called Sapper Consulting. And, and they've taught me a lot about email marketing. I, it was one of those things that I kind of just threw to the side, didn't think it was because I'm the guy that gets those, all those all day, every day that I just have set up my junk that they're going to go to spam or I just immediately delete them. And, and the way that they construct these emails and the, and the titles and the, you know, the, the, the lines, everything, the types of quality counts that they're getting us in the door with has just been surprising to me that, you know, just through email. And how hmm. open these are, because at that point, they're coming to us. They're open to the conversation. It's not like I'm cold calling them and they're reluctant a little bit, but they're open to it. And it's it's a different type of thing. Now, you know, we're three months in this thing. We've got a few things in the in the works. We haven't really closed anything with them yet, but we're working on it. We're down the line. But without them, you know, I mean, I'm talking about large, you know, very large pet food manufacturer that's, you know, international that they got us in the door with. And again, it's because of how they're structuring these emails. Now we worked mm -hmm. with them of how the content we want in there, but right. the way that they're, they're constructing them in a creative way that brings people to respond is, is, has been uh, refreshing, I guess. Nice. Yeah. It's, you know, I would, what kind of open rates do you get? I mean, can you share that? I'm interested because, uh, you know, for yeah, me, I, mean, I have, we're, we're getting about between, I just had a call with them yesterday and we were just going over some numbers and some stuff and they keep all that data for us. But last we talked yesterday, it was around the 15% open rate. on. Wow. Those. That is insane. Yeah. And then from the open rate, how many of those people of that 15%, how many people are clicking through to go to do whatever your call to action is? Yeah. I mean, that's lower. That's probably around the four to 5%, right? But you know, they're starting conversations. People are replying, you know, and they'll, some people reply back and say not interested, but they continue those conversations as well, too. You yeah. know, saying, well, you know, hey, when's a better time to follow up? Or is it somebody else I should talk to? And right. just keep going. And we've helped them with those objections as well, too. And they say, oh, hey, you know, we, we're fine. We're covered. Well, here's how to reply to that. You know, <laughs> they'll tweak it. So, you know, they've, they've done a lot now. You know, they're also blasting it out to thousands of, of you know, internet you know or stuff they've gotten probably off the black web or whatever but who cares it's they're getting them out there and you're not going to get everybody to reply but you're getting we're getting some that are that are very nice middle market accounts that you know are replying which was i was a little skeptical at first i wasn't sure they would because they're such large companies but it's working so let me ask you this do they give you any coaching so if you if somebody actually takes the time to write back and say not interested which is to me a completely intentional thing to do as opposed to clicking unsubscribe right you know do yeah. you reply back to that not interested do you is there right, something yes. you say to them so we're still tweaking it right so every time they get something they come to me and they say hey how should i reply to this email right because mm -hmm. email you don't have to apply, reply instantaneously you can reply you know six hours later and it will be just as fine. So then they get those that they haven't gotten before. They'll come and say, hey, what would you say here? And I would say it. And then they will construct an email, say, does this look good? And then they'll send it off. And, and so when they keep getting those certain ones in, they'll, they'll keep sending them out, you know, with those basically. Yeah, the, yeah uh, that, that, the not interested objection used to be one that we would get all the time um, when I was selling the office supplies that newer people would get kind of freaked out about and they just kind of turn around tail between their legs and head out. But it was like, that's not even a real objection. Like there's no, 
like not interested in what there's something else behind that. That's the true objection that you have to figure out what that is to know how to, to know how to talk with them. And if, well, and, and I think people, your point, David is, 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 uh, is, is huge. If they, if they took the time to <laughs> type back, not interested versus just, you know, not respond at all. That's a little, that's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably write back and say something like, what's it going to take to get you in the game then? I mean, yeah. what exactly can I do to pique your interest? I mean, do you want to hear more numbers? Do you want to hear right. you know, success stories? What can I possibly do to to get you interested? Yeah, yep. I think that's just people's mentality. You know, we get the phone calls. You get them all day. I get them all day. The emails of people. You know, it's like you said before, like we had when you were up here, we were talking about it and, and how everybody's instinct is to say no right away, you know, no. And I do it too. And it's the fact that it's just, you know, you got so much going on in your plate that it's just natural saying not interested, not interested, you know, or, or I'll go find it if I need you type of thing, you know, but mm-hmm. if you can, like you said, if they're taking the time on an email, you know, I get all these all day and I just delete them, you know, I'm done right. with them, move on. But if they're not interested, guess what? Now they were getting that conversation going back and forth. Yeah. I mean, yep. I probably would immediately go and pull their mod at that point. And if yeah. their mod was higher than one, I'm saying, <laughs> I apologize. You're not interested in not paying, you know, 50% more at least than your peer group on your workers' comp insurance. How right. are you not interested in that? Yeah. And we'll see. That's part of it too. If it's either through that or if I'm calling on them too and I know their mods above one and they're saying not interested, I literally, what I will do then is I will get up, I will go grab a copy of my book and a little note and I will mail it to them and say, hey, I appreciate it. If you want to talk, in the future, let me know. In the meantime, I know your mods above a one. I know we can help. You know, here's my book. Hopefully, this will kind of help you at least get things under control. And that alone, I like that. that has gotten us so many conversations started. People will email me back, call me back, say, "Hey, let's talk a little bit more." You know, by that book showing up in the mail to them of, of how to control their mod, and it, it it just proves that hey, you know what? I'm not here just to sell you some BS. I'm here to, mm-hmm. to tell you of how we can help you. I, yeah, like I want to talk about your book here in just a second, but you know, it's interesting to me the way that I approach that, especially if I go pull the mod and the mod is, is above one, I'm going to do the math on them, right? So let's just say their mods above one. Let's say they have a 1.3 mod and, um, they're on a, you know, manual premiums, a hundred thousand. So they're paying 130. Um, I would write back to them and say, you know, I understand that you may not be interested. And I just have to say congratulations to you because you must have a job that's paying you $60,000 an hour. If you're not willing to give me 30 minutes of your time, that means you're making $30,000 every 30 minutes. And the $30,000 you're paying above and beyond what you should be for your workers' comp is just a wash because you've been uber successful in developing an astronomical hourly rate for yourself. I mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm embellishing more than what I would say, but I think that when you put it into perspective like that, all of a sudden people are like, number one, who's this clown, you know, that he's actually responding back this way. But more importantly, they're going to think about it and be like, wow, I mean, I could possibly save $30,000 in 30 minutes. Yeah, you know, you're worried about, this is the same guy, by the way, that'll go home tonight and log on to Geico to save 15% in 15 minutes, but he doesn't want to give me 30 to save $30,000. Right. So, but you know, I, I read your book on the plane back. Um, and I'm actually going to probably do something similar. I haven't decided if I want to do like a full-blown print copy book as a leave behind or if I just want to do maybe a more robust version of one of the ebooks that I've already put out. I, I, I don't, I'm kind of booked out for a little bit, yeah. but <laughs> I, may, uh, I, may, I may actually do that. I think it, I think it, 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 
gives you a lot of I don't even want to say perceived credibility. I think you get instant credibility, to be honest with you. There's no there's no real perception there. I think that the difference is, and, and you can share your thoughts on this in a second, um, I, I just feel like if I write a blog post and it's really good and I know what I'm talking about, people are going to perceive that I have credibility. If I hand them a hard copy of something that is, you know, has been professionally published with a cover art and all of the other stuff on there, that's a different, different dynamic than, yeah. than somebody just finding a post that I put out on my social or Google or whatever else. I think that you're taken instantly taken far more seriously if you have a resource like that. I, that was kind of my thought exactly behind it. Um, gosh, I, I wrote the, started writing the book, uh, I guess November of 20, no, sorry, October of 2019. I didn't want to make it long, right? Cause I knew it's work comp, it's insurance, you know, it's, it's, I didn't want to put people to sleep with it. So I made it a short, quick read and just seven steps to how people can increase their, their profits through their work comp is basically the premise of it. And there's more steps than just the seven, but it's a good number that I kind of agreed upon to just stick at. And Right. So the whole premise was that to make it a credible to show, hey, I know what the hell I'm talking about. You know, it's not just a blog post that anybody can write. It's it's actually published. It's a hard copy that I will leave behind that's going to be on your desk. It's going to be in your office, whatever, and shows the credibility. That was the entire premise behind it. The whole premise wasn't ever to, to make money off of selling the book. You know, I just got my my royalty check from Amazon the other day. And trust me, it wasn't a lot. <laughs> but the amount of business that I've gotten from it far exceeds it you know, in, in the overall scheme of things. Now, it also, the point of putting that on Amazon was the fact to get it to become a number one bestseller, which it did. It wasn't hard to get to that point if you're in the right, you know, risk management. It's not a lot of people on Amazon buying books on risk management. So it's not <laughs> hard to go up the rankings there. So now on every email that I send out, I have that screenshot that shows, you know, uh, number one bestseller on Amazon. And it's got a link to click to it to show where it's at. Again, just to drive the credibility, not necessarily to get people to buy the book from the email, but just show that credibility aspect. Yeah, you know, the one thing I would tell you um, that I've learned from publishing my book, and I will do this every time I publish something going forward, it really was helpful that I had the corresponding website where the people could go request some of the assets that I was using or go watch a video to drill further down on that. Because in order for them to do that, obviously I was capturing their information right. and it's helped me build a pretty, I mean, I'm amazed at the email list that we've been able to compile. Now, obviously it's not a lead source for insurance because it's other agents or carrier reps or who or salespeople that are going there, but it is a lead lead funnel for killing commercial that gives me credibility um, instantly. So people know before they ever pick up the phone to set a, set a time to talk to me who they're dealing with. But, you know, I mean, we've built an email list to over 10,000 email addresses at this point. And I'm, yeah. you know, our stats are pretty solid. We're getting about, you know, 30% of the people um, open it. And I'm sorry, about 10% of the people open it. So if we have 10,000, about 1,000 people open it a week. And then of that, between 300 and 400 click through. So, right. you know, we're generating traction and we're able to capture those analytics. I, I would probably structure... The, structure it the same way, um, you know, maybe give them some tongue, tongue waggers. Like if you want to have your mod audited, you can click here to request it or, you know, whatever else. I need to think through the mechanics of that. But if you have a way to, to drive them to some landing page online or a website and, and get their information, um, that would also help your email marketing efforts. 
Yeah, and that's one thing I tried a little bit on there. I had the QR code and people could do it that way. I, I think there was a glitch in it because it's not working properly last time I checked. So I'm trying to figure that out. But it was the aspect, the easy way, right? Hey, you know, pick up your phone, just tick the QR code like everybody does in restaurants these days. Everybody knows how to do it now. Um, I hate that, by the way. Absolutely hate so that in restaurants. Actually, my mother-in-law, I had to show her how to do it last night. She had no idea how to do it. But whatever. We were at the dinner and, and she got it through. But that was the thing, right? So now they can click on it. And it's going to drive them directly to where I'm at. Curiosity alone is going to drive most people to do that anyway, right? You know, they're just going to exactly. see what it's all about. Absolutely. So how did you get settled on work comp? I mean, you're a work compologist. Yeah, right. And so that whole process, the reason why I chose that was just a little bit different, you know, as well, too, because people ask, well, what the hell is a work compologist, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, the whole premise was that we're going to, you know, dive deeper into your work comp and figure out where we can make it more profitable for you. Um, the way I got into it and started leading it was, was we're part of Keystone Insurance Group and they have a, a uh, uh, I will say, they got a relationship with uh, Institute of Work Comp Professionals and a couple of guys in there had uh, talked, raved about it. So I started talking to them and went to a class out in Indiana uh, to get the Certified Work Comp Advisor uh, designation and just really took off with it from there. And I've talked to those guys a bunch of times, Preston and Kevin over there. And, you know, they're easy to lean on. They're easy to ask ideas off of and just kind of make sure that you're in the right way. I mean, literally when I was in this class and I mean, it all just clicked basically, right? You know, when I was sitting there, the fact that it is really the one policy that everybody has the most control over, but it's the most overlooked policy because most agents just assume it is what it is. The rates are the rates. You know, all you need is payroll. I mean, I just went up against somebody. I walked away from it the other day, but, you know, they were, we were talking to them and, and, and we were going more in depth. And then he was talking to his old agent. He goes, look, the rates are the rates, blah, blah, blah. You know, you got to make sure you're doing apples to apples comparison. And I go, look, this is, I'm not, I'm not going toe to toe with this guy. Uh, you know, you're, you're dead set on staying with them and that's fine. If you don't see the value that we're going to bring to the table that we've discussed and you agreed upon, I'm out the door because it isn't just an apples to apples comparison and work comp. And if you're looking at that, what you're looking at it wrong. True. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because I actually had this conversation with one of my clients uh, this week because Amtrust has a habit of sending out auto renewals and they use whatever the exposure data was that was presented to them, you know, the year before. And they're really, really early about getting them out. Yeah. And the guy sent me an email. He's like, what do you, you know, this isn't even close to being right. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, listen, number one, <clears throat> it's completely irrelevant because you're on pay as you go integrated with your payroll company. So you need to be focusing on what the net rate is, not what the overall premium is. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to compare, Here's your comparison. Number two, your mod went up because of the claim that you had two years ago, which is the whole reason you hired me to begin with. And we got it closed and capped your exposure. But I did a mod projection for you last year, letting you know that this is exactly what was going to happen. And number three, I've updated the payrolls and sent them to the underwriter specifically for the reason of qualifying you for a higher dividend because your mod is now higher than it was when we originally presented the, the risk to them. So you may actually qualify for the next tier of dividend that you didn't qualify for last year as a result. And that's how we're going to try and recapture, you know, a chunkier 
mod, you know, for right. the difference in your mod. So I think that's a really good the point there brand. that we don't talk about a lot. Sorry to interrupt you. Is the is the projection like if somebody's had a claim, we talk a lot about auditing their mod um, and and that, right. but but not necessarily the reverse, you know. So I, th I think that's a good thing well, for I mean, people that's, to think that's about. One and of understand. the reasons why. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I like Magic so much is because it'll build that projection into your presentation. I mean, it's part of what what the process looks yeah, like. Yeah, it helps and, them plan for, for moving forward. I mean, it's nobody likes to deliver that bad news, but if you can get it to them ahead of time and be like, hey, look, here's what to expect. Here's what we're going to do to you know try to minimize the... Um, you know the hurt, or or or, or how much you're going to feel of that, and and put together a plan. I mean, that sets you apart even further. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, you, you need to be able to do that. I mean, you, otherwise, somebody else is going to. Right. Yeah, I think you got to set those expectations. I think I know, I know everybody who says that set the expectations, but I don't think it's. I think it's no truer, no more truer in this industry when it comes to work comp than mm -hmm. anything else. Because right, you might take over an account that. You know, their mods, let's just say a, a 0.9 now or one, let's just say they were a 1.1, right? You talked about, hey, we're going to help you lower your mod. Well, it's still next year could still go up. And if you don't set that expectation of, hey, look, here's why it still might go up. Let's look at it. They're going to be pissed off come next year because they're thinking, hey, you know, you said you're going to bring my mod down and now it's up. But if you can tell them, hey, look, you might go up next year because of what was in the past, but we're going to work after that and we're going to continue to work to bring it down. Yeah, as long as it's not the guy that Kyle called on who has no clue what the mod even is. <laughs> well, there's plenty of those out there. Yeah, I it's crazy, man. Guy. It's crazy. So, you know, what um what are you seeing right now, man? What's the market telling you? What are what are your some of your successes based off of? Have, have you had anything that's new happen as a result of current environment? Has it become more difficult, easier? I'm I'm interested in what you're seeing on the streets there versus what we're seeing down here. Yeah, I think right now, I think just with the pandemic and everything, I think the next four to five months are really going to tell because people are going to get their renewals in, you know, that, you know, the aspects of, of the effect that, that they had on businesses and the effect that they had on the payroll, you know, I mean, the number of audits that are incorrect is usually so high. And I think this year they're going to be even higher because people don't realize that they can, you know, change certain class codes for people that went to working, you know, working at home as opposed to working in a, you know, in a different space or the fact that they can exclude certain aspects of those payrolls for furloughed employees. Uh, I think that's really kind of where we're out there talking to prospects about is, is the fact that your mod or your audit might be incorrect anyway, but this year there's a higher probability it's going to be incorrect. That's really our focus on it. I don't know. And I just don't know how people are going to affect if they want to think on a price level, you know, this next year. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a bag of mixed nuts right now. I feel like. I feel like everybody's going to shop. That's kind of what my fear is, right? I mean, fear in a bad way or in a good way, I guess, because it's just going to be, Everybody's going to be out there and they're just going to be thinking price, 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 price. That's kind of my fear about it. Well, here's what I can tell you. So far, everybody that's gone out and shopped has realized they got a pretty good gig right now. <laughs> Probably don't need to mess with doing this again. So, I mean, I understand, you know, this isn't one of those things to me where, and I think, you know, this is probably pretty good advice to newer producers. So pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say if you're listening and you're newer. This is one of those things where you might get your feelings hurt or you might get upset about because you, you feel like you've done a really good job for a client over the course of a year. 
if we didn't have an, a pandemic right now, I could understand that and think that that would be justified, right? You have to realize something. Literally, I think 100% of the people are going to, to just weigh their options. And, you know, that's our job. We need to be out in front of that. And we need to re go back and re-educate people about what that looks like. That's why, you know, for me, if you go to Florida Risk's website, my four blog posts that I did, one per week for the month of January, all revolved around educating people on how you buy insurance. You know, we talked about broker selection, we talked about market assignment, we talked about RFP, and we talked about the agent of record letter. And the reason why I did that is because there's a lot of people that are going out to shop right now that have never been explained what all of those things are. And my hope was, maybe somebody happens to stumble on my article that's looking to do um, you know, RFP or market assignment or just put it out for bid period, maybe I can get them convinced that broker selection is the absolute best way to do it. And they understand the AOR is the mechanism to make that work. And, you know, I think that part of, you know, we do a really bad job. We, we get really good at educating our clients on technical things regarding insurance and claims and all of that stuff. Where we, where we fall, I think a lot of times, and I can't speak for your agency, I can speak for mine, we don't educate them really well on processes. Like this is the process of buying insurance. You think about another one, claims, right? We're so used to dealing with this. <clears throat> Even if we are in a position where we have, you know, we, we bring a new piece of business on, if it's relatively clean, they may not understand what a real claims process looks like. Now we can slap one in there and say, call this number, but, we really all need to do a better job of giving people the why and the understanding behind it. Like, this is why we have a nurse triage number for you to call. It's because we can do telemedicine on these workers' comp claims while we gather the information for the first report of injury. And by the way, it drops the number of claims that would you know typically be reported and have payouts by 65% because it's literally first aid. But we've never educated our client that there's another way to do some of these things. You know, and again, that's state specific. I get it, Illinois is a weird right. animal, man. So we I'm do. already talking outside your <laughs> vernacular, but um, yeah, you know. Missouri, so we're dealing with it over there as well too. And I mean, we're all over, so every state's so different, but I agree 100%. We gotta, see Illinois, you can't tell somebody where to go. You can suggest, right? So somebody gets hurt, you right. can suggest. Most people, if if you suggest somewhere, unless they're out there just trying to, to beat the system anyway, they're they're more likely going to listen to you or at least take it into consideration. So unless you have, don't you know, if you don't have anything in place of what to do or a suggestion, quote unquote, then they're just going to go out and they're going to end up finding somebody or they're going to call the you know all the lawyers out there that they see on their commercials and, and it's going to turn into a big old snowball. But if you have something that you can suggest, at least most of the time they're going to take it. But you got under you got to teach them, like you said, teach them why they need to have that in place. Well, it's no different than return to work, and I mean, I'm not even going to get into that because we beat that horse yeah. as much as we possibly yeah. can on the podcast. Yeah. But it's the same thing. People don't have it because they don't understand why it's important. And you know, I I, I did a, a blog or a uh, we may even have done a shop talk episode about this, and if we haven't published it yet, it'll be up pretty soon. But you know. I can't tell you the number of times that I'm in one of these public forums of agency owners or insurance agents where they, they, they're just complaining incessantly that somebody left them and they were doing everything right. 
my first question is, did you tell them? I mean, did yeah. your client know all of the things that you were doing for them? Because if you're not going to tell them that, they're not going to know. My clients never come into my office. You know, I've handled five pretty significant things this morning for clients that were would have been huge issues. And it's all because they don't you know sent that them I did a stewardship report. Yeah, they don't even start. <laughs> <laughs> but they they you know, they don't even they don't even know that know that I did that for them, right? And yeah. so um I think we need to do a, you know, just overall communication, I guess, to, to, to be honest with you, we do a good job. Automation certainly helps with that, but there still needs to be that human piece. And, you know, I've always been really good over the course of my career. Um, even when I admittedly do it just from memory, I'm always talking to my large accounts at least once a month, you yeah. know, and that might not yeah. sound like a lot, but that really is. A, if you're asking a CFO to yak on the phone with you for 10 or 15 minutes, they typically don't have it. But I always do it, and I want them to tell me, no, hey, look, everything's good. I appreciate you calling to check in. That's it. That's fine. I've accomplished my mission if that's how the mm -hmm. conversation goes. Or you may find out that there's something going on just through conversation that you weren't going to be told about otherwise. Right. I'm amazed how many uh, you know middle market accounts or larger accounts that I call on or that we call on that you know they, they say they only talk to their broker once, maybe twice a year. I'm just amazed that, that – that some agents do that, you know, I'm the same way. I'm, we, we love servicing the hell out of them, as we say, right. You know, we'll service you to you basically tell us not to, and we're going to call it. We're going to stop in if we're in the area, if they got a moment, just something, just to stay in front of them, talk to them for a second, tell them what we're doing type of thing. Yeah. My favorite thing, when I walk into a middle market account that I know is not being serviced at all. And I can tell because of the condition of the loss runs or the mod, I will ask every single time when I walk into the conference room, hey, um, out of curiosity, is your risk manager going to join us today? They don't have a risk manager. Well, what about your safety guy? Uh, well, we don't have that. We got Billy. He does toolbox talks every now and again when he gets around to it. But my point is, I want them to understand they're paying enough in commissions to an agency that there should be resources there. Even if you don't have a full-time risk manager, you should have some level of outsourced risk management provided as part of the value proposition from the firm that is earning all of this money. And I mean, I've talked about my guys up in North Carolina, you know, more times than I needed to already on the podcast, but that's exactly what I did when I went in there. This company was paying $250,000 a year in agency revenue in commissions. And they, they, they had bad experience, right? Like their losses were not good on fleet. Their losses weren't great on comp. And the reason the commissions were so high was due to property. Well, guess what? You can't really do much to engineer horribly constructed frame laying houses, right? I mean, you just wait for the storm to blow it down. You hope you've collected enough premium and you get the, um, you know, you, you, you end up replacing coverage and they build a better one after the fact. But I mean, those things are, are horribly constructed. They don't stand up to win and they're extremely flammable. Right. It doesn't mean that the agency is doing any more work. It just means they put a few more zeros behind the, the TIV when they entered it into the accord form. Let's right. talk about what's really driving issues in your company. And I think that's a big thing. You know, I'm interested, you know, we, we didn't talk about this. I don't think when we had dinner um, in St. Louis, <laughs> but I, I'm interested how much weight when you're talking to your prospects specific to workers comp, obviously, are you putting on the mod when you talk to them? I mean, we talk about it a lot on the show, but I think also I do a bit of a disservice to our listeners 
to a certain degree by not talking about other calculations that you could be doing or should be paying attention to that are probably a better indicator of what the real culture from a safety and risk management standpoint is of these organizations. How big, how, how much of an emphasis do we put on the mind? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a huge emphasis every time we're talking to somebody. You know, it's ours is similar. We're pulling the mods uh, before we even kind of target who we're going after. Um, majority of them are above a one. There are some, though, that maybe just are a little under it that I know their minimal mod is going to be. Let's just say they're a 0.98. I know their minimal mod is probably going to be somewhere in the seven, 0.7s. So we'll still have that conversation with them because they think they're doing good. But in reality, they're they're just okay. Um, you know, and we do a lot of calculations to show them, you know, where you're at, what you could be saving and how that effect could just emphasize your bottom line moving forward. And, you know, if we have some that, that we're midterm talking to them, that the new mod hasn't come out yet, we're going to do those projections for them to, to show them where they're going to be at if, you know, because they didn't take into control of trying to get their uh, any open claims shut down within that first six months, you know, before everything's reported to NCCI and how those are going to affect them. So the mod aspect is a, always a huge factor when we're talking to them. What are the things you're yeah. hinting at, David? Are you talking about like days away from work is in terms of indicators or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we did a shop talk episode on this and I, you know, the whole reason I was up there was to deal with a buddy of mine who had, um, a GC that, or a construction company that's one of his clients, and the mod went up to a like a one point one one, and he wasn't able to qualify for jobs anymore because yeah. of the mod. And so I just basically started. I gave them the strategy. I said, "Here's here's what I would do. This is a huge account. It's a, a long-standing relationship in the agency, and it was costing them a few million dollars a year in lost revenue because they couldn't qualify based on the mod. So I, you know, they sent me over the mod worksheet, the loss runs, the payroll audits, and everything. And the mod was right. Um, so I went in, and we spent probably two, three hours um, that one morning when I was up there, just starting to." slice and dice everything so I, I go through the loss runs and i look at them and i i ask them about the the one claim that was really driving this it was over two hundred thousand dollars and i mean these guys had had credit mods for years this was the one blip in the radar and basically it was a cleaning lady it wasn't anybody that was on a construction site it was a lady who's there to clean the office and they had had some roof damage that allowed rain to get in and it made the subfloor upstairs soft and they told her do not go upstairs it was blocked off you have no reason to be up there there's damage you could get hurt if you go up there so guess what the lady goes up there and she falls through the floor in, in the ceiling below and ends up fracturing her arm so 200 and some thousand dollars later and you know it's costing them a lot of money not not only just an increased premium but also in in uh opportunity Lost costs jobs. for not being yeah. able to qualify so Which my first argument yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so the first thing was, let's look at this. Let's look at this lady. So we go to the um, state database and find out she had four prior comp claims. How'd she get hired? Right? I said, you're gonna have to address this first. She slipped through the cracks. You know, you learned a valuable lesson from this going forward. You know, you have it in place that you're going to do more thorough background checks, including workers' comp claims on anybody that you hire going forward. And, you know, you're going to admit she was a mistake that we hired. However, she's not anybody that would ever be on your job site. Then we ran the DART rate. DART rate was way better than uh, any other construction company in, in their peer group in their state. And then the third thing I did 
was I took a picture of the bottom of the experience mod worksheet where it clearly says this is only to be used for ratings purposes and rate setting, not for safety scoring and the purposes of awarding bids or whatever the exact yep. language is. And basically said you need to reach out to, number one, you don't reach out to the certificate monitoring place. These people you know, are lucky if they even can order their coffee right at Starbucks yep. in the morning, right? They're box checkers. I'm sure they're great people, great family people, whatever, but they, <laughs> they suck. Okay. I, I don't, I don't like them. They don't understand insurance. You can't have an educated conversation with them. All they care about is, is the box checked or not? Yep. And when the box is not checked, you're going to be dealing with hell on earth until you figure out who you need to talk to. So your conversation needs to be with whoever the person is that hired that group. And that's typically the risk management department at the company that you're trying to do work for. So I said, you got to find out who the risk management person is there. You're telling me that the CEO of your client has a great relationship with these people should not be difficult to get a, a meeting set up. And then you just need to lay everything out as it is, right? You need to lay it out and make sure that they understand that number one, this was a fluke. You know, we admit we should never have hired her, but she's a cleaning lady, never would be on your job site. Uh, number two had you know four prior work comp claims, so obviously there's some some suspicion there as to whether or not I would hate to think you would fall through a ceiling intentionally, but you know who knows? Stranger things have happened, I'm sure. And you know my biggest question is: Look, NCCI is flat out telling you don't do this, and you're doing it. Why? That's the biggest. That's the biggest mishap or, or misconception I have is that yeah we have this conversation. This shows it right at the bottom of every mod sheet. Or my report sheet is that it says that only for rating purposes only. And in this instance, where something that has nothing to do, just one outlier is now going to disqualify probably a very good you know contractor from doing that. Is that's where the shame is. You need to be out there. These companies, these GCs that are requiring that, you need to be. If you, if you really want to do it, request the, the loss runs. You know, take a look at that and kind of dissect them a little bit. Now I know that's more at least f yeah, and, and at least five years, right? Don't right. don't go for three. That's right. the problem with the mod. You don't know what the bookends look like. You don't know what's happening in the current year, and you don't know what looks like in the one that fell off. Give me at least five. I actually, on a larger account, if I can get ten years, I prefer to do that and put it in Excel. Right. Have, yeah, show a broader viewpoint. And those loss runs are going to tell you way more than a mod will ever tell you. It's going to tell you what kind of safety protocols they have in place. If they're going to see on that mod sheet or on their loss runs that it's a constant, the same claim happening again, then you're going to know that's a non-safe company that really doesn't take safety precaution. You know, But the mod, one bad claim out of nowhere, they happen all the time, right? It's just an accident. But to mm. throw a company out, that's just, uh, I gripe at that all the time because it's the biggest BS out there. Well, and I think the thing is, that's where the average agent stops, right? Hey, you know, we're going to have to really work hard to get that mod down. And I feel like you're doing a lot of the right things right now. That's why it's so easy to write business in the middle market, because I'm going to start where everybody else stops. People don't realize that everything's, everything's negotiable. Everything. Right. What's the worst thing that could happen if you call? I mean... If I call the risk manager, is he going to send Kaiser Sose to murder my family that night, you know, because I called him in the middle of the day? No, they're just, the worst thing that could happen is they're going to tell you no, they're not willing to consider that. But if you take the time and you construct a logical case, you make it very difficult for them to say no. Right. If you can show them exactly what the thing is that you want, you know, exactly what you want to point out to them. 
two issues. Number one, agents aren't willing to get out of their comfort zone and go argue with the risk management department. And number two, they don't realize that they can do that. They don't realize, you know, the calculations. They don't understand that the Bureau of Labor Statistics website is a wealth of information that can be used in your favor. And here's a fun fact, people. We're salespeople. We're technical, but we're salespeople. Yep. If you don't, it, it, data can mean whatever you want it to mean. If the mod is not what's going to get your deal done, don't focus on the mod. Focus on the dart rate. Focus on benchmarking. Whatever you need to do to make that account look as good as you possibly can. I'm not telling you to lie or misrepresent, but you don't have to focus on that. Go find the data that's going to prove your case. I mean, if you read the book Freakonomics, I've read all of the books that those guys have written, but what I realized is... You can make that data say whatever you want it to say. They could literally spin anything at all that they talked about in that book or and make a case for either side, depending on how the data was presented. The data anymore, it's just like if you're submitting something to a carrier, right? The more information you can provide to your underwriters, the better you're going to have. You know, we're, we love to videotape. You know, I, one of the accounts that we just took over an AOR that we're trying to move out of the risk pool, uh, a large, they basically, they're monster truck company, right? They're, they kind of started the industry is that we went around to show them all the safety procedures that they have with a video. And we're sending that video in, you know, with, all the submissions to show them exactly. It's going to save them from having to send somebody out per se. It's just going to put their mind at ease of all the precautions that they have in place. So if you can provide the data and you can provide as much of an over, you know, 10,000 overview that you can, it'll go a long way with a lot of, a lot of underwriters, I think. I'll tell you right now, man, my new favorite trick and toy is my drone, right? Yeah. I would, I literally was with the CFO two or three weeks ago going, looking at property and I and we met and I'm like, listen, I'm gonna have to get a look at the roof in the HVAC stuff. Um, you mind if I run to my trunk real quick and deploy my drone so I can videotape footage of the top of your facility? And he looked at me, he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, that's how I do it. I don't wanna have to climb up there and, and go through a roof hatch. And I really would like to not have the carrier send loss control out if we can avoid it. I'll just pop the drone out there and we'll, we'll get a quick shot, fly across and, and around the perimeter and call it a day. He's like, nobody's ever done that before. Okay, great. Well, guess what? My wife, who was chastising me for spending $1,000 on my Mavic Air 2, you know, realized when I came home and said, by the way, this is a $60,000 revenue account that maybe I wasn't an idiot for saying, you know what? I, I might not even need to turn the video camera on. If I just get the drone up and fly it over, the appearance of the fact that I'm going to a different level of everybody else is enough to get the deal done, even though I really am going to a different level by by videotaping that and then coming back and editing it and putting my comments in, you know, in a video proposal to an underwriter. I've actually started doing video proposals as a submission to underwriting, just like I do a video proposal to a client. Yeah, same. We, we've been working on that as well, too. Uh, we use Vidyard on ours, and it's just an easy, just take the link and send it to them. And explains that's where we put our video for for all the safety measures and our video of us explaining the rest to them as well too yeah that's awesome well listen man we've been going about an hour i want to be respectful of your time so i'm sure that plenty of people are going to want to reach out to you and uh pick your brain that's typically what happens when people come on the show why don't you tell them the best place to find you 
Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there all the time. It's actually turned into my favorite social media site. I guess you want to call it social media. So you can find me on there, Stephen Sedlak, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, last name Sedlak, S-E-D-L-A-K, uh, or my email. I got, uh, probably just give you my agency email. It's S Sedlak, S-S-E-D-L-A-K at schmalleyinsurance.com. That's S-C-H-M-A-L-E, insurance, all spelled out, dot com. Nice. You spell it just like that right there. there. Right. I didn't wasn't even thinking about it, man. This is rapidly turned into my favorite coffee cup. Aren't they good? They're great. You yeah, can use, use it for coffee in the morning and a little cocktail at night. There you go. Yeah. Or Irish coffee in the morning right? and you kill two birds with one stone, right. I guess. <laughs> There you go. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your friendship. Look forward yeah. to watching uh, everything that you're doing. And, uh, you know, have a great weekend. I guess we're, we're kind of on – it's Wednesday today. So, yeah. yeah, it's a hump day. Have a great rest of the week. I'll All call right. it that. All right, you guys. Bye, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care, man. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.